The coming birth of Jesus. In the sixth month after Elizabeth had become pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. He was sent to a virgin. The girl was engaged to a man named Joseph. He came from the family line of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel greeted her and said, the Lord has blessed you in a special way. He is with you. Mary is very upset because of his words. She wondered what kind of greeting this could be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. God is very pleased with you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. You must call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord God will make him a king like his father David of long ago. The son of the most high God will rule forever over his people. They are from the family line of Jacob. That kingdom will never end. How can this happen, Mary asked the angel. I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come to you. The power of the Most High God will cover you. So the Holy One that is born will be called the Son of God. Your relative Elizabeth will have a child, even though she is old. People thought she could have no, not have children, but she has been pregnant for six months now. That's because what God says will always come true. I serve the Lord, Mary answered. May it happen to me just as you said it would. Then the angel left her. Last Sunday, we lit the candles of hope and faith, remembering the hope which comes in Jesus and the faith we can have in God's promises. Today, we light the third candle of Advent, the candle of joy. As we light this candle, we remember Mary, poor and humble, worshipful and waiting as the Savior of the world grew. May God's glory dawn in our hearts so all shadows of the night will be scattered and we will be filled with his joyful light. Let's pray. God, we come here in this time of Advent, uh, this time of waiting, um, reviewing the story here, and we ask, God, that you would fill us with your spirit as we look through these scriptures to be able to hear what you want us to hear and act upon for our hearts to be transformed and our minds changed to be closer into the likeness of yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Over these past couple of weeks, we've been doing some character studies. So two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth. Last week, we looked at Joseph. Uh, this week, we're looking at Mary. But rather than focusing on Mary as a character, um, we're going to look at this Annunciation story a little bit more closely. And the reason being is because you can go into our archives, and we've actually, or I've actually preached quite a few messages on Mary and the character of Mary, so you can look through there and, and listen to those past ones. There's several of them, um, and Mary's song is also in our archives, so you can listen to a lot about Mary uh, through all of our archives. So here this morning, I'm going to cover more about the Annunciation more than the character of Mary. 
Um, before I, I jump into, into the verses right away, I, I just want to talk about one of the issues, one of the problems um, that Christianity has and that the church has when talking with people who are kind of bound by natural law or think in natural ways. Because if we're already at a disadvantage as Christians because we believe in the supernatural. We believe in the mysterious, the divine, um, the miraculous. So it, it's kind of a, a disadvantage on our end if we're talking about these stories uh, with people who only kind of get tied to natural law because there's a lot of mystery surrounding our faith. So that mysterious, the miraculous, that, that is really difficult for people to receive if their thinking is just confined to that of the natural world or confined to natural law. And yet this is what our faith is. Um, not entirely today, because obviously God has used a lot of the natural world in creating the natural world, but a lot of it is supernatural, and it started out as supernatural. And when Christians lose sight of this and we just get stuck in this debate of natural and uh, we get fooled into thinking that we're smarter than we really are, right? We, we start thinking that we can explain everything when there are things that are simply mysterious, hence the word mystery, that there is nothing natural about Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, and it's not that there's no explanation because that's what theologians do. Um, you wouldn't ask a biologist how to you know, explain this to you, you'd ask a theologian who isn't bound by that of the natural world. Uh, an orthodox theologian would describe this birth as uh, born of a human mother without the agency of a human father, and this supernatural event, this, this mystery, is central to the Christian faith. To understand Christianity, one needs to live in this realm of the divine, to be aware of God who is not bound by the natural, to think that God took upon himself human nature so that he is fully God and fully man is a mysterious thing. To be one substance, two natures, human and divine, nothing natural about that. It's divine. And so we need to take a look at this theologically, not naturally, and to think in the realm of the mysterious takes quite a bit of humility because there are times in mystery that you just don't know and that's our answer that we don't know and people who are confined to the natural realm do not like that as an answer they want to know they want to be able to explain what's happening and so I mentioned these things before we talk about Mary because Luke records this as absolutely true absolutely absolutely factual events according to him. But if someone listens to this message through the ears of natural law, then when it comes to the supernatural that Luke is recording for us here, when it comes to the divine which Luke is recording for us here, then you'll go deaf. And you're going to start dismissing these eyewitness accounts that Luke has recorded for us, and you're going to be saying those are folklore, or those are myth, or those are legend. Now, two weeks ago, we looked at how Luke started his gospel, and I want to read this again so that we understand that he wasn't simply just writing a story or making this up as he's going along. So starting in verse 1, he writes, Inasmuch as many, so it's not just his recording of the stories written down, but there are many, 
have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. If we just looked at this from the viewpoint of the natural, we could never understand Jesus taking on humanity without giving up his divinity. We wouldn't be able to make that logical jump. That his divinity was not lost in his humanity or his humanity not lost in his divinity. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 10, verse 21. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He then goes on to say in chapter 18, verse 17, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. We come to God like a child. Childlike, not childish, to have a childlike faith, realizing that there are things that we just don't know. And we stand against so much from the scriptures in a posture of humility than we do if we come to it as know-it-alls. There are people who think that they need to understand something before they can believe it. And here's one of the issues with Christianity, because if that's what you hold to, it's going to be really hard to come into a place of faith. The thing is, with Christianity, is that you won't understand it unless you take a step of faith in believing it. Now to Mary, you notice that it's the same angel that appeared to Zechariah a few verses before. And Gabriel's response here is a little bit different, quite different actually, when, than when Zechariah was made unable to speak. So looking at this, verse 26, chapter 1. In the sixth month, of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. As Nate mentioned uh, last week, betrothal was more than engagement. It was a legally binding relationship that needed a legal divorce in order to separate. So they're not married, but they are also more than engaged. That their relationship was recognized by their culture and their community as being united. It, it, it was a sacred union, but they're not married yet, but it's considered sacred. So. Mary is betrothed to Joseph, this carpenter, and she's having another day, probably like any other day, just waiting for this marriage to happen here in the future. And then this angel shows up. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now we read that Zechariah was also troubled by this same angel, Gabriel, in verses 11 and 12. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Mary is troubled in a different way. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah. He sees him and he's kind of, he's scared. Mary is troubled not by what she sees, but by what she heard. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with all his people. So... We know that God's with everybody. So what is this all about? Why is this so scary? Why is greeting, O favored one, the Lord is with you, so scary? Why does this greatly trouble her? Well, let's continue on here. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, anyone who knows the scriptures knows that this is um, really scary when an angel says this because it always has something else attached to it, right? Like, okay, what is it? There's a but in there. Like, well, what? But. Gabriel's talking about favor, but. Before he says anything more, uh, and rather than finding favor, he tells her, do not be afraid. And you're like, oh, man. Okay, I found favor, and right after that, you say, don't be afraid. Now, why? I think it's because Mary knows her scriptures really, really well. And, and we have evidence of this because if you just go down a few verses, she re reads her song. It is chock full of deep theology, and, and she knows her scriptures really well. So it seems to me that Mary is familiar with people who have found favor with God and is familiar when an angel says, the Lord is with you. And so in her head, I'm thinking that she's thinking, I'm going to be confronted with a ton of problems and trials and stuff, and I'm not going to die, but I'm going to have to live through that. So thank you very much, Gabriel, for coming into my life. Because this is really similar to what the angel says to Gideon, right, in Judges chapter 6, verse 12. Goes to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And then what does Gideon have to go through? His army is getting slashed left and right, and he's just wondering, like, what in the world is going on? I thought, I'm a man, like, I thought, what's going on? I thought you'd increase it rather than decrease this. So he goes through the ringer, and he goes through all this trouble. He doesn't die, but he sure gets stressed out trying to figure out if he's going to live through this. And so when she heard what Gabriel said, she tried to discern what sort of greeting this is. This, this was how Mary was. She, was. she was a thinker. She was an internal processor, a feeler. And so any of you internal processor, thinker folks out there, um, you, you're, you're going to identify with her. You, you're going to be able to understand her. Take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. This was when the shepherds were visited by an angel, and those shepherds relayed uh, their messages to her and Joseph. And so she's receiving this, and she's just thinking about this. She's pondering them in her heart. She's processing what, are, what was told to these shepherds by the angels. Now go down to verse 51 in chapter 2. And his mother, Mary, treasured up all these things in her heart. You, you see how she just kind of like takes all this stuff in? This is in reference to when her and Joseph had to circle back to the temple, look for Jesus in the temple because he's 12 years old. He's hanging out in the courts, asking questions and talking to people. And so this is Mary's personality to, to think and to, to feel deeply. And Gabriel probably knows this about her. So he tells her, you, you, you're, you're favored. You found favor with God. And Mary's thinking, all right, I know where this is going. This is going to be a bittersweet news. So, okay, give it to me. Verse 31, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Right away, she's probably thinking, um, what kind of favor is this? I'm not married, so is this like I'm, Joseph and I are going to have this baby, or what, what's going on? And so she might, she might be thinking, well, if not, then pregnant virgin. 
And so Gabriel has to go on with this so-called favor because it's not sounding like a good favor. So he goes on, verse 32, He will be great. We will be called the Son of the Man, Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So this is actually really great news because they've been waiting for this moment for thousands of years. But then Mary instantly jumps to the natural. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is something that all of us tend to struggle with, is that we tend to jump to the natural. We, we jump to natural human responses. Even though many of us know that we're involved in a spiritual work, many of us know that we're involved in a divine work. And so if an angel shows up, it's a pretty good indication that this is a divine work, right? This is a spiritual work. But that doesn't happen to all of us all the time, or it hasn't happened to anyone that I know of. If it's happened to you, please let me know. I'd love to like, hear your story. But how many times do we look to the natural when God is actually at work in the divine? We look at natural outcomes when it's God who's at work, and when God's at work, it is supernatural. It's a divine miracle when God is at work, and we tend to think finite when God is infinite. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's a miraculous work. It's not something natural. Now, this is a beautiful picture of God's faithful presence with his people. And we can think back to the Old Testament when there was this cloud that he dwelt in the presence of his people in the cloud upon them, overshadowing them, that this cloud veils God while at the same time revealing God. And this is, again, mysterious, miraculous, not natural. This is a divine work of God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. All of this is supernatural, divine. And it's a mystery that God makes himself accessible. I have a five-year-old, um, and I think this is all kids. They, they ask this question eventually. So if you have a baby or a toddler now, be prepared for this question. She asked me, Dad, where was I before I was born? So I tell her this beautiful story about storks and how she was delivered and all this kind of stuff, which has turned her into a vegetarian. <laughs> so she's been a vegetarian for about two weeks now, actually, um, on her own. Like, it's nothing to do with me, but it, it's kind of, you, you can pray for her. <laughs> so I, I, after the joking is aside, I say, honey, um, you, you, you weren't around because you're created. So all of us have everlasting life, 
but we don't have eternal life because we all had a, a beginning. Like we didn't exist when the triune God was together. So we all have a, a start. We're everlasting, but we're not eternal. So then my five-year-old asks, again, I'm preparing all of you with younger children. So then if Jesus was born, where was he before he was born? I'm like, well, that's when you have, uh, um, I'm going to have you talk to Pastor Nate. And, but no, I'm, I'm trying to explain to a five-year-old the triune God. And her head is spinning, and I can just see like smoke coming out of her. Like she's just trying to process this, that the second person of the Trinity became man, and that this Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal with God, and not created, but predates his incarnation 2,000 years ago. And I'm trying to say this in five-year-old language. So she keeps asking the same question because she doesn't understand me. Because I, I can't get there. And it's mysterious, and I'm having a lot of trouble trying to figure out how do I tell this to a five-year-old who has this really good theological question. But how do I get this across when sometimes even a grown person who is very learned and reads a lot and has college degrees doesn't understand this still? And part of it is because you can't understand this without faith. That you can't understand this without a humility in understanding it. And so a person just looking at this through a natural lens fails to believe that God is supernatural and mysterious and they won't understand this, which is why we have to come to God as a child. Because she's still, all right, that's cool. I, I don't get it, but I still believe that Jesus is the best. Like, I'm like, who do you love more? She's like, I love Jesus more than you, Dad. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> I'm like, great, great. I'm not going to debate you on that. But we won't be able to come to this understanding of conception, birth, resurrection, ascension, return of Jesus, because all of those things are supernatural, miraculous, mysterious. Putting Jesus aside for a moment, let's just put that as an aside, and just think of the birth of babies. I mean, isn't that miraculous? Mysterious? There are some things that medical science can't explain. For example, within this whole birth process, how is personality explained? Like, maybe you can tell me about, like, cell division, and you can tell me, but how about, like, original cell, like, the first cell? Of a person. Like, how do you explain these things? You can't. It's just kind of an assumption and all postulating about like what something is, but it can't be explained naturally. Like, somewhere along the line, it's kind of like a theory or, or kind, some kind of hypothesis that can't be repeated or, or proven. And so Jesus says this in Luke 14, verse 11, For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This arrogance, this pride that any of us has, prevents us from seeing God. It will have us to be self-reliant on ourselves and what we think, rather than obediently following the Bible. 
Continuing on in verse 36, chapter 1 of Luke. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. That impossible thing that is happening in your life or in the life of one that you love and care about. Nothing is impossible with God. That impossibility of Elizabeth having a child, that impossibility of what's happening with Mary with this virgin birth, that there's an impossibility in your life that you need to look to God to, to answer. And it can happen for you, an answer to that impossibility. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary submits herself to God. Her faith and submission to God are amazing because in this cultural context, this is not good news for a 12 to 14-year-old girl. She was going to head out into public with this news that eventually she wasn't going to be able to hide anymore that she was pregnant, but she wasn't married. And this baby is not Joseph's, to whom she is betrothed, and it's legally binding. Families have worked things out together, and they're going to be family. She will become a person with a terrible reputation, forever marked as dishonorable. And her family will also be disrespected because of what's happening with her. And so this terrible reputation is actually one of the proofs of Jesus' miraculous birth. Take a look at John chapter 8, verse 41. This is actually chock full through the Bible in terms of people saying things to Jesus to kind of like dig at Jesus. So for example, when they say, son of Mary, because they don't know who his dad is. So it's kind of a dig, because most of the time you'd be like, son of uh, Joseph, son of whatever, right? Bar Jonah, bar whoever. It's son of the man. So when they're saying son of Mary, it's kind of like a slap thing going on, right? Or when they say this in John chapter 8, verse 41, this is the Jews saying this to Jesus. We were not born of sexual immorality. So what are they saying? You were, right? You were. We have one father. Don't know how many your mom has slept with. Even God. And so you see this, this dig at Jesus and his mom, Mary. Like th This is constant throughout the Bible where, where you'll start reading and you'll just pick up these nuances of them trying to like dig at him. And so Mary was going to have to deal with this news, carrying this baby, and it's not going to go well for her family, for this community, for her future in-laws. She's not even entirely sure how this is going to go with Joseph and how he's going to respond to this news. And if Joseph were to merely rely on the natural, there's no way he goes through with this marriage. No way. He only goes through with this marriage because of the divine, an angel, speaks to him about it. That this birth was going to be supernatural, miraculous. And there's no way he goes through with this marriage if it's anything less than that. If he relies on natural, no way. Why? Because he will be marked as an irreputable man for the rest of his life. And so will this future family of his. They will be marked forever. 
So Mary and Joseph submit to knowing that, okay, we are going to be marked for the rest of our lives. This is going to follow us all throughout our life. And so initially it seems that Joseph does not want to go through with this marriage because the natural pops into his head. This is what's going to happen to us if we do this. And naturally, that has to be some other guy's baby. That Mary was unfaithful to me, even though we were betrothed. That is the natural mind. That is what he's thinking in his head. And it's not until Matthew chapter 1, verse 19, that this happens. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He's just thinking naturally. He's, he's a good guy. right? And, and when... Nate was sharing about this. There's this term sadiq in there. Sadiq meaning righteous. Sadika, mishpat, all coupled all the time in the Old Testament. Righteousness, justice, always coupled together. This guy's known to be a righteous guy, known to be a just guy. And he doesn't want to cause shame to Mary. He doesn't want her to be stoned to death for doing this. And so he wants to do it quietly. And just naturally, this is not my baby. Let's just call it off and let's just do this quietly. But as he considered these things, these natural things, behold, an angel, divine, miraculous, mysterious, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Have we submitted our lives to God and not just in a natural way but in a divine way, in a miraculous way, in a supernatural way where we are allowing God to communicate to us through the mysterious or have we made it so mechanical, so robotic, that we don't allow those things in our life? Where we don't allow faith and belief to enter in to God, for God to speak to us. And that takes a high level of humility in order to receive that. Or are we so dependent and reliant on the natural world that we're missing God at work? That God is working through these things. And we're just missing the miraculous things that can be happening. See, a life of faith in Jesus takes us through miracles. And it doesn't mean that life is easy or that things would be just fine. Because here we see that Mary and Joseph definitely do not have easy lives. But they did experience a miraculous life with God a supernatural divine life where this baby is celebrated every year since his birth for over 2,000 years. Where Jesus is worshipped every day somewhere in our world for the past 2,000 years. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 9, 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does Jesus reign over your life supernaturally this morning? Not in a dry way where you're just like, you just kind of grew up in church and that's just the way it is, but that there's this dynamic thing happening spiritually where you're just living a natural life where experiencing the, the divine is lacking. How much room have we left to experience the mysterious, to experience a miracle? And here's the thing, we need that even just in our own church. It was shared with the church that Jane's cancer has come back. And it has spread. If you don't believe in the miracle, the miraculous, why do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you don't believe he can do something about something outside of the natural world. And so here's a miracle that Jesus is offering every one of us this morning. Every single thing that could possibly separate you from God. Every single thing. Jesus can erase it all. That's a miracle. Every single thing that can separate you from God is gone if you believe that he can do that. And it's just by faith. It's not some like action, like natural law. It's by faith. To have faith in this gift, to believe that and to seek that understanding. But you don't understand it fully and then come to belief. You believe it and then you gain more understanding. Let's pray. God, we ask for forgiveness in places where we've doubted, where we've just been so dependent on the natural world that we've shunned the miraculous, the, the, the divine, the mysterious. But we also ask, God, that you would give us discernment of when that is occurring and not to go to that other extreme, to where everything is supernatural, everything is miraculous, everything is divine, that you would help us to have the discernment, Lord, of what things are of your spirit and what things are not. But we ask, God, that during this Advent season of waiting, of recognizing Emmanuel, God, with us, as we talk about your birth next week and celebrate that, we know that there's this not yet aspect of things, that your return is not yet. But we ask, God, that our minds, our hearts would be open to receive from you what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.